we have not met, my name is Gabe Phillips and I get to be one of the pastors here at Life Changes, which we consider to be the best church in the whole of the world, the whole world. Anybody agree with me? Come on, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also married to uh, the best wife in the world and got the best kids in the world. This is Fiona and my beautiful kids. And it's wonderful to welcome you to the start of the Christmas season, people. It's officially here. Let me tell you, Boney M has been singing in Czechia since October, but we're saying, no, no, it starts now. It starts now, people. You're allowed to go all out from here on in. But I want to just take a moment for the next few minutes just to, just to posture our hearts in the, and to dig a little deeper into the meaning of what's going on at this Christmas season. And I'd love to start this discourse, this moment, in the place that all Christmas stories must start. 1989, Armenia. Yes, that's true. Yep, you, you followed me right. It's a tale that has uh, found prominence in the media a few years back because what happened in 1989 in Armenia was there's this gigantic earthquake. An earthquake that they had not seen uh, or since, since or before. And it's an earthquake that flattened buildings, buildings. It flattened homes. It flattened businesses. It was just one of immense chaos and thousands upon thousands of people lost their lives. But amidst the chaos, there came this personal story of, of triumph and beauty that just emerged from the rubble, emerged from the ashes. And it's a story of a father and a son. And the father took his son to school as he did every, every day. And he took his son to the school building. He would leave him there and say, son, I'll be back at the end of the day to pick you up. And he would leave his son and go on with his journey. But that fateful day, as he was just about a couple blocks away after dropping off his son, he started to feel the tremors. The, the, the building started to collapse around him. The, the ground was shaking and he knew something devastating was happening. And all he could think of was, my boy. So he turned and he sprinted all the way to where the school was just a few moments before, but the school now was just in rubble. And there was emergency vehicles going left and right. There was chaos everywhere. There was people trying to cordon off areas and people looking for loved ones. But he knew that he had to, he had to get on top of this rubble and he had to get to his boy. So he summoned strength, supernatural strength that mums and dads will only find in chaos in moments of crisis. And he started to dig. And at first there were others around him. He started to dig amongst the chaos. But as he started to dig, the people started to try and pull him off saying, listen, there's no use. There's going to be no life saved here. This tragedy is just, it's done. But this dad would not be dissuaded from his task. He pushed off the naysayers and he just digged. He dug and he dug and he dug and he, and he kept on digging for 38 hours straight. 38 hours as the, the blood was pouring, as his hands were getting calloused, as he was feeling weak and his, and his body wanted to give way, but he just thought, I have to get to my son. And everyone was saying it's done, but he said, no, I've got to just keep on digging. As the 38th hour turned to the 39th hour, and he pulled off that one last brick with the last little bit of energy, a pocket of air emerged. And he saw as he started to push dramatically through it, he looked at his eyes, there was a little crevice there. And in that little crevice below all the rubble were 13 pairs of eyes looking up at him. And he looked in there and he, and he said, is that you, my boy? Is that you? And there's this boy with 12 other classmates. And he said, yes, that is me. And the line that started took prominence around the world was this one line as the boy realizing that his dad had rescued him turned around to his friends and said I told you my dad would come I told you my dad would come and I want to suggest this Christmas maybe we start this Christmas season and your life is feeling like this 2023 has been a one year of rubble of chaos your business has been flattened your emotions are flattened you're feeling like you're just underneath it all I don't know what if I've got any more energy left to summon up for my relationship my emotions my spiritual life my financial situation what's ahead of me maybe on the outward it's all smiles and mistletoe and wine and, and and let's get ready for Christmas but inside you you're crumbling and you're feeling crushed I want to tell you that Christmas declares this fact my father is coming 
My father's coming and he's coming for you. Let me tell you, religion says, my father is coming and he's coming with a finger to say, what have you done wrong? But I tell you, the good news of the gospel is I always say, the father is coming not to condemn you, but to rescue and redeem and save you. The nation of Israel had this reality of between the Old and New Testaments is 400 years, 400 years of silence where it felt like God had abandoned them. It felt like they were left to their own devices. There was no new scripture. There was no, there was no new prophecy. They were just living with the old, but it felt like every passing year, every next season of celebration, festivities, the Roman occupation that was pushing them lower and lower, it felt like they were in the rubble of their lives saying, what's next for us? The gospel writers start their Christmas narrative in unusual places. We starting ours in Armenia tonight. I want to tell you, they too started in strange places. Mark says, I want to forgo the nativity. I want to forgo the, the sheep and the, 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 all is calm and all is bright. I want to start his gospel. Mark says, the Christmas story for Mark starts with a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, I want us to dig a little deeper beneath the story you might know. And he says, I want to dig deeper until I get to Isaiah. Because when he reads the prophet Isaiah, that this, this prophecy of who, that one would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. He's reminding the Israel people. He's reminding us tonight that God is a God who will not go back on what He has spoken. Maybe you feel that the rubble has so condemned you and there's nowhere to go. Your sin is so huge. I want to tell you what He has spoken will come to pass. He's not a man that He should lie. His word never, never, never returns void. And no, no matter how deep and no matter how far and broken your situation is, I want to tell you, Mark declares, my Father is coming. And he will not stop digging till he gets to you. The gospel writer Matthew, he says, Mark, I see you, Isaiah, but I want to start my Christmas narrative in an unusual place as well. I want to start it in a genealogy and I want to dig a little deeper. And Matthew digs a little deeper and he digs and starts his narrative by saying, Jesus was the descendant of Abraham. He goes further back and he digs deeper and he says, Abraham, and he reminds the Israel people after 400 years of rubble and pain and brokenness, he says, no, I want to remind you that not only is he a God who will keep his word, he's also a God who keeps his promises. Abraham, the father of promise, the one we thought before it was way too late. God says, I'll remember my promise and give you a son. And it's that sort of reminder, that God who says, I'm a God who never goes back on what I've spoken, but I never go back on what I've promised. There was a situation recently, a girl who was engaged to be married, and just a month before the wedding, the fiance came and said, I want my ring back, I want to call off the wedding. And with that moment, that, that gesture, it wasn't just putting off an event, it was putting off a future. And disappointment set, set in at a deep, deep level because promises broken can really destroy our hearts. But the Bible says this, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but promises fulfilled are a tree of life. And I'm here to declare to you today, a redhead all the way here tonight to tell you that God says He is a God who keeps His promises. My Father is coming. My Father is coming. The Gospel writer Luke says, Mark, I see your Isaiah. Matthew, I see your Abraham. But Luke says, I want to dig a little deeper. Why don't you say to your neighbor, dig a little deeper. Luke takes this gospel narrative to another genealogy and his genealogy doesn't start with Abraham. It goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus was a descendant of Adam who was the son of God. And I love this reality because he's trying to remind us this Christmas and every Christmas after that maybe your purpose, what you were designed for, the very DNA of who you're created to be has been buried under situational disaster, under business collapse, 
under relational chaos. You're feeling that you thought the marriage would turn out that way. You thought the year would be this, but the rubble has so gone over, you thought maybe I've lost even who I am. Adam represents, yes, our sin, but he also represents what we were designed for the very DNA of heaven upon the first man. And I want to remind us when Luke uses the name Adam, he says, Adam, the son of God. He doesn't mention Adam, the first sinner. No, he doesn't come with a finger in the chest and say, this is what you've done where you fell short. He says, no, I want to remind you what you've been created for. I want to keep reminding us tonight, the word never returns void. The promises will always be fulfilled. And he has the good news, the purpose will always stand. He says, my father's coming. And he's going to keep digging. And he's going to keep digging. The gospel writer John rounds it off by saying, yep, I see your Isaiah. I see your Abraham. I see your Adam. But John says, I want to start my gospel in the only place I know how. And John says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. And then he goes on saying, the Word became flesh. In a sense, he's reminding us, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to dig a little deeper past the prophecies, past, past the promises, past the plans and purposes, I'm going to dig all the way until I find the very reason for all of it, the person of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind our fickle hearts in this moment, as we gather together here, before what the enemy spoke over your life, before the broken promises, before the sin that, gave you, that you gave yourself over to almost buried you and left you for dead, He was there. He was. And religion will offer you this option tonight. We'll say, dig a little deeper. January 1, try a little harder. But I'm not saying dig a little deeper into yourself. I'm saying dig a little deeper into who He has called Himself to be. The hope is not in us. The promises are not in us. The, the prophecies, the plans, the purposes are not in us. No, it's always been in Jesus. And I want to keep reminding us to dig and dig and dig until we get to Jesus. Why? Because the person of Jesus is everything. And it's not just Jesus meek and mild in a manger. No, I want to remind us Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the centerpiece of all history. He is the hero man of the New Testament. He's the mystery man of the Old Testament. He's the glory man of Revelation. He's the seed of Abraham, the root of Jesse, the line of the tribe of Judah. And in a hundred years time, when we're sitting on the rubble of society, the name Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Jacob Zuma, Cyril Ramaphosa, COVID-19, ESCOM, what, 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 all of those names will be just footnotes in history. There'll just be a page on Wikipedia. There'll just be a tattered page in a textbook, but there will still be one name. As we keep digging, we dig beneath the rubble of society. There's still one name that stands, still one name that is beckoning us and reminding us, my Father will come for you. Here's the reminder to us tonight. In the young incarnation, the one on high became low. The creator became a creature. The word became speechless. The very power of God became a fetus. And the one angels trembled to approach was there in the flesh, now with and alongside his people forever. And this man, Jesus Christ, did not come just only in a manger to sympathize with our weakness. Yes, he does that. But he came ultimately to go to a cross to die for us so he could save us and redeem us from said weakness. I tell you today, John Calvin says it best. He says the cross is God's greatest advertisement saying the father wants his kids back. I want to remind us tonight, as we dig a little deeper, past the mistletoe, past the trees, past the season, maybe even past your depression, your anxiety, push past that, dig a little deeper and find that Jesus is all that He says He is. The prophecies are true. It's Him. It's always been Him. 
The promises are true. He is the fulfillment of all of them. Yes and amen in Christ Jesus. The plans, the purposes He has for you. He says, I know them, says the Lord, and they're in Jesus. If you would reach out and touch Him, tell you it's always been and always will be Jesus. Can we stand to our feet? I want to pray for us in this moment. The great writer C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became the Son of men, so the Son of men might become the sons and daughters of God. This is on offer for you and I tonight. This is for us to remind our hearts, our fickle hearts that get so snowed under by emotions, by, by brokenness, by depression, by anxiety, by our sin and our shame. My Father's coming. I told you my Father will come. And He wants to rescue, redeem, and restore what the enemy has stolen. Can we close our eyes in this room right now? Right now, I want to count to three. And if you are tonight are saying, in this moment, I want to surrender my heart and dig a little deeper and find the Father who's been always searching after me. I want to remind, count to three, and then I'm going to ask you to lift your hands so I can pray for you tonight. A simple moment, but a profound moment as heaven invades our earth. One, though you've been buried, I call it's time for resurrection. Two, I told you my Father would come. Three, would you lift your hands now to Him so we can respond to this King together. Jesus, I thank you for hands that are lifted, symbols of heart saying, I need re redemption. I need rescue. I need revelation of you, Jesus. I need all that you have promised. I need the hope that's been deferred to be fulfilled in you, Jesus. I thank you, Father God, right now, as hands are lifted in this room, that you still turn graves into gardens. I declare you still turn seas into highways. You still turn shame into glory. You still turn sinners into sons and daughters. You make dead things come alive. You make broken hearts find wholeness. You make hard hearts softened. But Jesus, in the name of Jesus right now, would you rescue us? Would you redeem us and restore our sight to see you? As we dig a little deeper, we find it's always and only will always be you, Jesus.